Hello and welcome to Lightmap from Sifter. On Lightmap, we explore what it takes to make video games and interactive media by speaking to creative teams from all around the world. It's a guide to interesting new gameplay experiences, and in every episode, you get to meet new developers, artists, musicians, researchers, and more. My name is Nicholas Kennedy, and today I am joined all the way from Sweden, Dennis Gustafsson, lead narrative designer for Book of Travels. How are you, Dennis? Hello, Nicholas. Very well, thank you. Tremendous. Thank you so much for being on the show. So, look, Book of Travels, it's got to be one of the most interesting multiplayer games I've seen and played in a while. So let's jump in and discuss. If you like insightful discussions about those high-profile games that everyone's talking about, then why not check out Sifter's other podcast, Mainstream, in your podcast feed right now. We talk about those high-profile titles, those AAAs, some of those other smaller indie darlings, featuring insights from the award-winning Sifter team and other special guests. You can find Mainstream in your podcast player. That's on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or head to the Sifter website. That's sifter.com.au. Book of Travels is described as a TMORPG, and we'll get a little bit more on that later, which welcomes players into the world of the Braided Shore, an expansive 2.5D world where they can travel, meet other players, and create their own stories. So, Dennis, I'll just start. In your own words, how would you describe Book of Travels? It's, it's actually quite difficult. Uh, I've tried to I've sort of have post-its on the top of my screen to, to, to figure out how, if I were to explain it to someone in the shortest possible way. I think it would be a combination between the previous Might and the Light game, Meadow, which is like a multiplayer roam around as animals game, um, the first Baldur's Gate and uh, Journey. And if you want me to illustrate the why is basically journey has the sort of visual storytelling, <clears throat> a single player is roaming around the world uh, and, and just getting sort of nudges from other players. Um, and Baldur's Gate 1, which I think uh, is very different from, from Baldur's Gate 2, is that it's very much open. It's more, if Baldur's Gate 2 is a computer role-playing game, almost Baldur's Gate 1 is a role, pen and paper role-playing game done on a computer because it doesn't lead you that much. It's basically the world and you walk around and you trigger events because of your actions. While other role-playing games after that are very much sort of like computer gamey, they, they will jump at you and give you a lot of things to, to choose from. And the difference, I think, is rather a big one. Um, that if, if you are the one to set the pace, like if you're playing, when I was a games master in pen and paper role-playing games, I tend to not tell the players what happens. I'm just waiting for their response. And to me, that gives me a very different, a very different uh, experience. Interesting. And, and you mentioned Meadow in your answer there as well, which I believe you made a few iterations of Meadow. You made a couple sequels of that game, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, that would be the Shelter ones, the Shelter one with the Badger and the Shelter two with the Lynx. I've only been working in the studio for a year, uh, so I haven't been working on the on the previous games. I've played them, of course, uh, and I've kind of been an advisor for the story and world and narrative for a couple of years. But I wasn't I wasn't working in the studio. Um, yeah, so I've started working here on, on uh, the Book of Travels. What was that experience like building a game or writing at least a game and helping to build a game that 
that, you know, that is about, you know, travel and new experiences, you know, while, while being in the midst of something like what we have all experienced over these past, you know, two years. I think the biggest challenge actually came right at the end of production because the house, uh, the studio, which is basically a house on a slope by the sea, uh, and I used to, whenever I pass by Stockholm, which where the studio is, uh, on my motorbike rides, I tend to stay there for a few days and just get the atmosphere. I was working somewhere else. Uh, I'll sidetrack this one. Uh, so anyway, everyone was sitting in their own kind of room doing their special things. They're kind of, you know, experts in their own field. And then we have Jacob, who's the creative director, working with all the artists and doing everything. And things were progressing sort of very well in that way but then when the covid hit and we were actually putting the game together together to finalize it i don't know if you're in the experience that when you want to finish something basically sitting in the same room helps a lot because you can do a lot of the small talk the little sort of uh you know mortar between the bricks and that 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 sort of created some unexpected stumbling blocks for us i think term I used to describe Book of Travels at the start there was TMORPG. Could you explain a little bit about what that means? It's basically, we don't want, everyone's played an MMO where the, the um, what's the word, the, the square of like the city is full of people trying to sell like ring mail underpants at the, at the lowest price. And we don't want, we didn't want the multiplayer to be in the way of the, of the experience. So it's kind of I worked a lot. I worked eight years at, at King and working with social features and things. I, to me, I don't think people don't want social features often per se. You, it's nice to be noticed and have a connection to other players. But having the demand of them and the noise can be sort of distracting. So it's kind of, that's the balancing part. We're still figuring out what the number is. I mean, we chose basically seven. We, we looked at how big is the map? How many minutes can you walk around without meeting anyone? And then we kind of set that number. And also, of course, seven is a magic number. So I don't know if I'm, I'm on a tangent here, but it's kind of a, a feeling that you want it to feel populated by other players, but we still want the single player experience should you choose you know, to walk that path, if you see what I mean. And that's why we don't have communication. We have emotes because we don't want to have abuse or we don't have, want people to be able to speak more, most importantly, out of context of the game. We really want this game to, to only be able to serve you the world because uh, you chose to go into the braided shore and play an RPG, a fantasy world. You don't want someone to use BRB or, or, you know, sort of modern, even modern language. What were the goals of the team when it came to designing the look and feel of the braided shore? And how did that connect with your job being the narrative goals of the game? Well, that's a very good question. Basically, the art was done first. I mean, it's very art-driven. The studio is very sort of art, atmosphere, and music-driven. Um, and to me, I've worked in, in games. I released my first game in 91 on the Amiga. Uh, and I'm, I think the game medium should be... It's visual, it's visual storytelling. And I'm not a super fan of, of trying to make it into a movie or a book because it's a very different medium. So basically what I've done is I've basically taken their art and, and written the, the narrative and the texture of the dialogue and the language to fit the art. And we, together we have sort of made this. It's, 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 it's a very interesting cooperation in that I was there in the beginning to just nudge them with little ideas. I helped out like 
discussing how magic works and you know stuff like that to find something different that's flavorful and fits the art so it's a narrative and the whole world building and everything that's now in there has grown from the art as much as it has for many it hasn't been a narrative idea like oh the big chaos dragon has come from the you know from the depths it's it's a story it's intricate but it's a kind of a personal one it's interesting to write because there's no there's no there is an overarching narrative of certain people and factions but it's not one that we can script for the player's experience the player can walk around and engage with it and listen to it and find out what's going on and decide what sort of where to probe and stuff but there's nothing and i don't think there can be there can't be anything that will funnel you in a certain way that would that would again that will that will put reins on your player and your experience and will sort of dictate the pace and that's something we don't really want um but we also realize that some players like that so we will we are experimenting with ideas to add segments or, or putting as much variety in there as possible without breaking the spell what are you hearing from players what are their experiences been like um between that kind of more you know hands-off narrative experience where you know you're not necessarily giving them uh or, or giving them the the golden arrow to follow how have how have players been responding to that well there's been basically two groups like when the 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 gamers come in expecting the standard things they are of course shocked and amazed and complaining a lot but then you have some people who says this is exactly what i want so I guess we're making a game for those who like it, but we're also looking at, you know, coming up with the ideas that instead of say a quest log, what if every item, if you find an item, if you've spoken to someone who wanted that item in the item description, it actually says you've recently spoken to someone who is looking for an item like this or something. So even if we get feedback from people we wouldn't call our player base or whatever, we still what they're saying is still important and still true for them. So how can we incorporate it into the game uh, with our own pillars and values? Um, and a lot of feedback we get is we already know. Yeah, we know we wanted this as well. But one of the greatest things is it's very complicated to actually get your friends, make a server and just go in and play together, which is basically our key pillar is you should be able to have a few friends around decide, let's go into Braided Shore and, and do some adventuring. And, but there's a lot of those examples. I can just probably list like very many. From my time with the game and, and another one of the key words that I kind of hear being, being used to describe Book of Travels is, um, is serene, which as someone whose experience with MMORPGs tends to relate to, you know, PvP and combat systems and strength gaining and getting stronger, you know, serene is not a word that I would expect to be used to describe something like an MMO. Could you just talk a little bit about what your goals were with Book of Travels in terms of tone and how you wanted players to feel while playing it? Yeah, serene is such a great word. I'm, I'm not sure if many English speakers actually don't have to look it up. It means, um, we, um, yeah, basically, it's it should you should be able to play at your own pace. And many players that that play the the games that Might and Light do enjoy the slow pace i mean meadow is just basically you choose to be a frog and someone is like an old wolf and you walk around the world slowly looking for like symbols and you emote and that's it and for a gamer who plays doom 
that might just not be a game for you. So I think it goes back to what is a game. Um, and to me, it's a bit like what fantasy has become. Uh, that fantasy, when something is fantasy, you can almost, it contains almost all the same pieces. It's become less fantastic and less varied. And games have also sort of normalized into something. And I think it's, there's value to fight against it, against that too. The, the point you make about the, the normalization of games and a kind of hege hegemony that we can see, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but it's definitely something that Book of Travels pushes against in the MMO space specifically. You can find games about all kinds of things and all kinds of experiences with all kinds of tones. But in the MMO space, it is so locked down in terms of like what that experience generally is expected to be that when Book of Travels came onto people's radars, uh, if, if they were anything like me, they were like, this is unlike anything I've ever seen before. This is, this is, and, and, the, and, the, and what I expect from this, I don't even know what to expect from this because it's not, I don't see a toolbar of, you know, well, there are toolbars in the game, but I don't see, you know, I don't see a, 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 a right click the goblin to go and kill the goblin and get goblin bones you know, um, sort of loop from this. So if anything, just from a player, that's something that Book of Travels kind of represents in a way. Yeah, and I think that's calling it an MMO is actually dangerous because that does set up the, the wrong expectations. That's kind of one of the reasons why we needed to invent another term just to make people think like, this doesn't sound like, you know, and it isn't to prepare people. But then technically, I guess it is an MMO. Um, or an MO multiplier online, not massive. Uh, yeah, but it's it's interesting. I can see the 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 need for filling in expectations. If you are a, a company with a lot of investments and you you need a huge player base and you're going for the the broadest sort of common denominator, and, but I think for an indie studio, you can't fight. There's no point fighting with the big ones anyway. If you wanted to, it's better to find your own uniqueness because then you'll find not as many players, but you'll find uh, dedicated ones. And there are so many players that even if you just get a small piece, you still, you still make it. Absolutely. And, and in terms of dedicated players, I mean, even looking at some of the, uh, the critical response on Steam, some of these player count, like the hour counts are just already, you know, hundreds of hours into, into this thing. So that's, so that's a, so that's a sign of good of, uh, of that you are definitely um, uh, resonating with certain people. So, Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the, the the world of the game itself. I feel like we've talked around the game, but we haven't really talked uh, a whole lot about the game. So what can you tell me about some of the the narrative inspirations that went into crafting the Breaded Shore? Was the Breaded Shore a, a, a thing that, that the team already had sort of in the backs of their minds when you joined Might and Delight? Or was that something that you brought to the table? How did everything kind of knit together once you were a part of the picture? They had a map very early on uh, and all the artwork and, and, and things and the discussions about trying to make a fantasy world that isn't, that isn't tropey. I mean, we like tropes. We like fantasy tropes, but we want to serve out something very different. We're looking more sort of towards an Eastern rather than a Western aesthetic and I think mentality. And we also wanted, we, we wanted lives, the common person's life to be quite valuable so it's not like you have like battles and people killing each other left right and center like in so many adventure games so basically even if you lose like some old person 
the whole village comes together and look for them. If you have a an intrinsic human value in the society, then every person's little drama becomes sort of important and you can meet them again. And then the players we were hoping also will respect each other. There was many of these little things that was a very sort of conscious decisions how to make a world that is very different, that isn't just sort of for instance, there aren't that many combats. If you combat something, it's going to be like monsters and supernatural beasts and spirits. Even bandits and things, they don't just sort of rush you and kill you. Why would they do that? They will try and rob you. And, uh, and that's actually one of my favorite mechanics. If someone's trying to rob you and you can, you can, they'll have demands. So give me some stuff and you can do that. Or you cannot do it and fight or run away. But you can also, if you're clever, and this... It all ties in together. We want a game to can support someone who is not a fighter. Like if I'm a merchant, I'm good at trading, and I can have lots of valuables. So I can, A, afford to pay bribes. I don't have to fight and get wounded like the fighters do. And also if you have items that has pockets, I don't know if you've seen that. If you put your most yeah. expensive things in the pockets, the robbers won't find that. They won't try, they won't you know, get their toll based on the value of what you have in your pockets. So you can just have you a, a merchant just have cheap stuff to tell. Yeah, hey, hey, Robert, take These a few are pretty bad robbers if, bells. They uh, if they can't just do a pat down and check you for the jewels. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> they're just not very good. That's at a great down. idea. We'll add that. People will yeah, love maybe, you for this maybe idea. That can be a risk reward <laughs> kind of thing where maybe they'll pat you down. Who knows? Depending on the quality of the if the pockets are hidden or exactly. There is so. I mean, as, as as soon as you scrape a surface of any of the features I, we have, there's just so far you can go and and that's what's really exciting like the combat system is at the moment very sort of basic i think it has risk reward and it has some betting in there but just imagine how much when we can add different you know combat stances and it's 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 a great and exciting prospect how we can develop this game it's very bare bones at the moment uh, which is like frustrating for us of course it's exciting because of course we wanted want to wait another two years but really we needed it out there to get the feedback and all those things i also really like this uh sense of the idea that i've seen you talk about in other interviews about players owning up or being held to account for their actions in the game world so say they're telling themselves you know like you mentioned before if they're a merchant or if they're a peaceful traveler but if they're always fighting and killing things you know how those two things kind of abut with each other. I just find that to be a really interesting idea, you know, this holding players to account in a role-playing sense because holding players to account is not a thing that many games like to do. And if they do it, then they're generally doing it in a narrative sense. You know, how does Book of Travels try to hold players to account? And do you consider it a risk to just not say to players, you know, go do anything, be anyone, and we'll always agree with you? Yeah, I think that's a bit sad. That takes away the role-playing aspects and the way that we've implemented it so far, for instance, is you have the skill points and sort of fighting skills are quite valuable and they take up, you can't really be a master of all trades. If you are, you will just be able to fit in like the lower tier skills. So for instance, if you want to be great at something uh, later on, when we have, for instance, advanced fighting, which might take up a lot more of your sort of skill space you won't be able to have the other advanced things. So it will be like a choice. You can't choose to be everything. Um, let's see what else. Yeah. It's, we even had the idea of the, of the eye color. Uh, we haven't implemented it yet, but the idea of having someone, <clears throat> the eye color in this, it's, they call asking folk is basically our 
human equivalent at the moment of races, if you want. Uh, but they're not they're not 100% human. That they're actually their eye color changes over temperament. So if you choose an eye color, like oh, gray eyes are serene, but if you start fighting, they will start browning and become like a red tone. So you can you can say who you are, but people can look at your eyes and know what's inside you. Stuff like that. I mean. You have to be careful with stereotypes and things, but just having those things where you say you are someone, but your actions, you know, proves that you are not. These are very interesting questions and how to get that in there without it being problematic in any way or, 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 or messing it up. But we want, we really want people to specialize and enjoy specializing. Um, so that you have to, if you need, sometimes if you, want to do something in game, you have to team up with someone else. And that should be the main reason why you team up to beat an advisory or a puzzle that you can't really, you don't have the talents for or something, but also that you just haven't been able to specialize in that sort of field. And therefore you, you just group up with someone who is, and then you do stuff together. That's kind of one of the core pillars. Um, and it would, that would spoil it. If you could do everything, then that would spoil the whole need of having other players in the world. There is just a degree of overriding sincerity to things, which I found really, really refreshing and, and not really much cynicism in it. It's, there's a lot of faith being put both into the, like the game expects a lot of faith, but it also, you know, puts a lot into players. Anyway, I'm on a tangent. But it's an, it's an interesting point because if you play many games, especially role-playing games, when you, even when you speak to people in the world, everyone is kind of slightly hostile and everyone is so awfully angry all the time like we don't want your kind it's always like i don't know someone's trying to push players mm. why would they do that if you've done do you mean you from know? npcs in like yeah from npcs there's a sort of a world, hostile yeah. edgy from everywhere and i don't know where that come from i mean you need allies right you need a reason to be a stand-up person and fight for society and and i like that and you're i i love it when you're not like the chosen one that's what i like mm. as, as well about Baldur's Gate 1, before you know, know that you're like a descendant of Baal, you're just like this, this guy mm. who had a tutor that died and you're basically <laughs> no one. I, lo I love that. I'd rather have the big hero of the country ride by and like, oh, there's the, there's the savior. Oh, he got poisoned. I don't know. But it's, yeah. it's especially in the multiplayer game, you can't really do that. Like you can't all be the, you can't be the, the great hero, but everyone can be the little hero together. Mm. What kind of position does Book of Travels take for Might and Delight going forward? Is it the sole game that you're working on now or, or is it going to get to a point where it's going to leave you room to continue working on uh, regular re releases of other games? It's going to be the sole game for a long time. And we all want to just dig into this heart and soul. There's so much to do and so much to prove. Uh, to prove our fans right and you know take the trust that we've been given by a lot of people if you read like say oh, i'm just look, so looking forward to what's happening and this is going to be fixed and and that's what we want to do we really don't want to do anything else we are in love with the braided shore that's very that's very it's actually not the answer that i expected because uh, studios tend to i don't know maybe i'm making something up or pulling it out of thin air but uh, uh, you know studios can kind of put games into a kind of um you know uh 
they're running in a way that um, that you can you can work on content and build it out and all that kind of thing. And and on the side, you're also working on maybe more shelter games or Meadow Two or something like that and and stuff like that. But it's very interesting that that Might and Delight looked at at Book of Travels and were like, "This is going to be our thing." That's that's very that's very interesting and, and brave. It's also yeah. I mean yeah. I'm I like I'm kind of a marathon runner more than a trying to do short hits and i think the shelter games are super charming and i i have lots of ideas like i want to go to shelter three and do this extra thing with that so there's so many things you want to do but but braided short we have so many cool plans and ideas and dreams for the future to add to it that i dare hardly not say anything about it but maybe if i were to say from my personal wishes so i don't so my boss doesn't phone me up Imagine when we have these single-player, I wouldn't call it plugins or DLCs, but single-player adventures that you can go into with a team that you draft of NPCs, so you have a group, but you travel together and do adventure in the world that is the British or multiplayer. Those things. So rather than making other games, you do like a single-player experience, but the world that this happens in is actually braided short that you come to know and you've learned it and you can sort of talk to other players, but you're actually having your own single player arc and stuff. I mean, all those things that I've always dreamed about. And when I started to play my first MMO, I thought that was it's, it was going to be like that, but then it turned out to be something very different. Because um, some, some of us in the studios has been around for quite a long time and there's so many if you only work for big AAA companies, there are so many dreams unrealized in there and i think many of us are driven by this when you played games as a as a younger person before you got jaded and found out that every game is an illusion that dream of that the game was infinite i want that to be a goal to make that to feel like that again so i don't you don't feel like oh it's this it's got this many levels and you know just keep it keep the imagination going and keeping the dreams i mean i remember playing elite the old elite where there was like was it five missions but you never knew there was five missions so some something popped up after like three months and you thought oh my god anything could happen of course it couldn't because it was just there was no memory but you didn't know that so therefore the whole the whole adventure it was all sort of very exciting it's it's all very fluffy values i'm talking about now but it's it's, it's a feeling and I, I'm super happy that we could we could work towards a feeling and not just like a market goal. Even though, of course, those exists because that's, I mean, the the ultimate form of praise is someone actually paying you to say this was great. Here, take my money. Uh, but yeah. Well, that is Book of Travels by Might and Delight. Um, you can find out more information about the game by heading to www.tmorpg.com or you can follow Martin Delight on Twitter at Might and Delight. Dennis, thank you so much for joining us on Lightmap and sharing a little bit of Book of Travels with us. And best of luck as the game continues to grow. Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure. Lightmap is produced by Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, Sarah Ireland, Viv Thumb, Adam Christou, and myself, Nicholas Kennedy. Mitch Lowe is the senior producer, and uh, Gianni Di Giovanni is the executive producer. 
You can find links to everything we talked about on our website, which is sifter.com.au uh, to read more about you know games and guests that we featured. Um, and also, why not join the Sifter community? Uh, you can visit sifter.com.au forward slash discord to get there. That's sifter.com.au slash discord. And please share the show. It is the number one free thing that you can do to support us. Um, word of mouth is really important to indie podcasts. So, uh, like the, if you like this, um, you know, let your friends know and um, we reckon that they'll really enjoy it. So, that's all for now. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode of Lightmap. Map.